Welcome to SKU Talks. We are your one-stop shop for all things e-commerce. While I tend to skew towards Amazon, no pun intended, our guests come from all sorts of professional backgrounds, and I'd like to think there's something in here for everyone. Thanks for joining. All righty. Welcome back. I'm here with Austin Krines. Austin's the CEO of Atomics Logistics. I've gotten already to learn a bunch from Austin because this is not my area of expertise, but I, I think he has a lot of valuable things to add. Austin, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. Looking forward to it. Sure. So just to kick things off and at the risk of being redundant, because we've already already had this conversation naturally, why don't you just give everybody a quick minute or two rundown of, of who you are, your background, and tell us a bit about Atomics Logistics. Yeah, perfect. Um, so th- thanks for having me on. My name is Austin Krines. I'm the founder and CEO of Atomics Logistics. Uh, we're a third-party fulfillment uh, company based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I started the company about three years ago. My family has a history in the last mile delivery space here in Milwaukee. And we work with about 112 direct-to-consumer omni-channel brands and have about 60,000 square feet uh, warehouse space here and looking to expand that um, into next year. In three years, huh? Yeah, We might have to have another conversation about client acquisition then another time, but 120 (laughs) brands. 6,000 square feet. Jesus, that's great. Um, I'm already going off topic here, but as far as, I, I think it's really interesting that you, that is your family background. So I, I want to leave some time, obviously, to talk more about your business specifically, but tell me a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm interested, like, I don't come from a background that has anything, my family doesn't do anything similar to what I do at all, but how do you think, like, was this always something you were interested in for, in for that reason or did it come about later? And what, what did your family do exactly? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. So, so frankly, I, I probably didn't understand truly what my uh, dad uh, was doing as a, as a job growing up, um, at least when I was younger. And um, so never grew up with an idea that, hey, I want to work in the logistics space. I'm not uh, too many or I'm not sure too many kids grow up thinking it's the sexiest industry. <laughs> Um, yep. but, um, but yeah, so what, what they do is they're anybody just like a, a local UPS, for example, um, they do last mile, uh, delivery. So they're a courier company taking got it good goods from point A to point B greater Milwaukee area down to Chicago over to Minneapolis. So really what, what got me thinking about the space more, I was, I was pretty obsessed with entrepreneurship throughout my childhood and growing up, but out of college, I, I started uh, my career in finance and then I worked at an e-commerce brand. The pandemic brought me home and that's when I spent more time and really understood what my dad's business was doing. The biggest kind of revelation for me, I was like, you guys got a successful uh, small business here with the software technology that you guys are using. I'm like, this truly is so antiquated and it's impressive how you guys are, are running this successful company with this. And so that yeah. got me thinking deeper about um, the fulfillment space. And that's how I tied e-commerce and logistics together was um, by being around this company. Okay, totally. So as far as now, you know, you guys have been up and running three years, what, what overall sorts of brands and companies do you work with? Like, do you have a particular size, a particular niche? Is it everyone or how does that work? Yeah. So I, at a high level, it's uh, consumer goods, I uh, think smaller than a basketball. Um, so our average shipment weight is a pound, two pounds. Um, that's kind of been our, our focus. We do have outliers on, on different size. And then in terms of um, volume for us, we don't have minimums. Um, and we'll chat on this um, later of kind of when's the right time of, of thinking about a fulfillment partner. 
Um, but for us, is we we like working with brands from that early stage. So when they're first thinking about a, a third party company, we're like, hey, can we do in a hundred orders, five hundred orders? Um, what we really just look for are, are brands that uh, kind of have that ambition to grow. Um, we've kind of built the infrastructure to help at a smaller scale what those needs are. And then as you go kind of through the journey and thinking about different channels, thinking about retail, thinking about direct consumer, um, we try to kind of build those processes to make that easier um, just from a yeah. logistics point of view. I hear that. I think that it makes sense to me and that that does kind of segue perfectly into what I wanted to talk about next. But I think so many businesses are built the point in time where brands start to reach growing pains right because there are huge companies that have everything so dialed in that have been doing it forever that they typically work with other huge companies or they have everything built out internally to the point where they don't need you know a ton of partners in particular spaces but i think that a lot of businesses that i talk to and i mean this is honestly where we fit into the equation too is when companies start off you know in the very very beginning stages they don't need to onboard that many partners and they can't afford to onboard that many partners but as soon as businesses start to see some degree of success, you know, and a couple years in or whatever it is, and they start to get those growing pains between like, oh, like champagne problems is how I always like to put it. But like, we have enough orders or enough demand on to our website, or um, we're fulfilling this stuff from our garage, and we're getting more orders than I can, you know, I'm spending all my time just putting things into packages and mailing them that they and they have a little bit of funding that it's time to bring on a partner. So that that to me is like that's a sweet spot and i feel like it's also pretty fulfilling to be able to help those businesses that are that have seen some success but are still you know looking to grow and and part the picking the right partner can really make or break their whole business at the end of the day so where where is that point for you guys like when like if there are if there is anybody who's listening that might be reaching kind of that that sweet spot or that not so sweet spot i guess um, what do you guys look for as far as like when, what should a business be thinking as far as looking for, to partner with somebody like you and when? Yeah, there's there's two simple frameworks I like to think through. The, the first is it's um, more vague, but it's, it's preference and kind of needs driven. And I'll get into the details of that. The second is a rough rule of thumb um, that I have is around 250 to 500 orders is when it starts, generally speaking, to get a little um, too time consuming where if you just- And that's per month. Yeah, yeah, sorry, per month. Yeah. And that's like just opportunity cost of your time of, of, hey, what initiative should you be focusing on? So now to that yep. kind of needs preference based is, and you touched on this a little of, um, it's really an owner's mentality. And I think always a hard part about that is kind of giving up control. So even if it's not thinking about a, a 3PL, it's thinking about, hey, do I bring someone in part-time? Do I get some family members to, to help with this? Because there is like, even with that, there is a lot of value to brands in that early stage of kind of just figuring it out of shipping it out of their house and, and understanding one, what that process is. So when you're going to a, a third party company or a partner, that's like, Hey, this is how we like it um, done. Can you guys do that? And I think this is when I thought about this space is when you think about handwritten notes, if you think about um, any type of customer experience piece, it really like eliminates a lot of 3PL partners because they're like, hey, we have this system totally. fit into it. And Maybe, if not, yeah, or get out. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I think that was a big piece for us and of just kind of rethinking that early stage. It's and it's not like kind of scalable things, but we try to build systems that make it scalable and beneficial to both sides. So handwritten notes, that is time consuming on our team 
um, side, we do that for clients. Now they pay a premium for that. Um, yeah. But for that's them, I didn't think that's could do that. Yeah, and, and and I think for us then it's just how do we build the kind of infrastructure internally to make that a seamless process. So we have those orders coming in. We know that they're tagged with a gift note. Well, we know that this team is processing this and this is where they're printing the labels and it's not getting confused with like other processes. So to take a step back on like the needs preference space, we have one um, brand in particular, their co-founders are in um, LA and New York. And they're like, hey, we're, uh, we can't, we're always traveling. Or can't do fulfillment from day one. So even when they were doing their first manufacturing shipment, they sent yeah. it to us because they didn't want to or have that. And so I think that's where that needs based. Sounds like it wasn't um, the first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and 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 they've done it and they they had a clear idea. But I, I do believe that there is value to a brand's um and owners doing that initially of hey, what do you want the process to be? And even just to kind of have that expectations of working with a partner of just so you understand what the fulfillment process is. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, and that's, that's again, something that I think really does translate across a number of, of things. And I, I say this all the time to people that I, I speak to on the marketing side, where it's like, whether you're running an e-commerce D2C store and you're looking to start running ads or you're, you know, whatever marketing channel that you're ultimately looking to do, let's say it's Google ads as an example. Um, and you don't even have to be an e-commerce site for that. Let's just say you're a local, like I used to do Google ads for local dentists, real estate agents. And one thing that I used to tell them is like, even if you never really plan on running ads yourself, or even if, you know, you're starting a business and you want to outsource your fulfillment early on and you know that, I think that getting some degree of hands-on experience with it no matter how small is just going to be worth its weight in gold because you know how to have those conversations. Like when I've talked to people that have never run a PPC ad in their life versus somebody who's even run it on like a hundred dollar a month budget and they know what the buttons do, like it's a completely different conversation we're able to have. And as a business owner, you need at least some degree of exposure into, in my opinion, into every avenue of your business. Because even though you're not going to be doing most of it hands-on at a certain point, like being able to A, who tell who's good and who's not good yeah. and B, be able to have those conversations with your partners and be more of a strategic partner with them versus just not being able to have any insight into what's going on at all and hoping it works. So that that makes a ton of sense to me. To, to, to add to that, uh, just quickly, is like, I mean, on the ad side, like if you're going to that local dentist or whatever it might be, and it's like, okay, I'm bringing on this PPC ad um, partner. I'm going to spend $5,000 with them. And then after two months, it's like, Hey, why haven't you guys generated us two million dollars in revenue? Or like, so it's like, right? That's, that, that, that's not how it's not how it works. Like, one, you're spending like this much, and we kind of went through the strategy around it. But and that's just where it is around the expectations, like piece of, right? Hey, like, yeah, and just knowing like the details too, out of, of to, to even create that strategy of like looking at, hey, what is LTV? How much should you spend on a customer? And for a lawyer or something, it's like. Hey, you're going to go on there right. and spend a thousand dollars to get one person because they're going to make you five hundred thousand dollars, and so it's not going to be me being like, okay, well, we should probably spend twenty thousand dollars a month, and then being like, well, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, well, what are your goals? Yeah. A hundred percent. It's like setting realistic expectations, being able to like develop a reasonable framework with whatever partners you bring on, and then being able to have conversations ongoing that are more about strategy and what's next versus just 
sitting down and like walking through what all the acronyms mean on a report like month in and month out. So I, it's huge. And, you know, again, nobody has to be an expert, but um, knowing your way around each individual piece is, is incredibly uh, important. So I hear you. And it's, I think another thing as far as like the needs versus preferences, different people have different skill sets and they need to onboard different types of partners at different points in their journey. Like I've worked with brands that one of the co-founders used to work in a marketing agency and used to run ads for a bunch of clients. They're going to need to bring on a partner much later than somebody who has never done it before. On the inverse, somebody who has some experience with logistics and fulfillment might be able to, you know, wait a little bit longer. I, again, this is my area of expertise, but yeah. it's just whatever you're good at when you need help is it's going to come at a different point. And and because the so biggest about identifying big, that totally and and because I, I think I summarize it, which is like, what is your goal um, of the business? Because if like where we fit in with some clients is they're trying to go from 500 orders to 5,000 in a year in like a short period of time. And to, when you think through kind of that piece, if you have kind of the funding or kind of the advertise the, the ads and marketing figured out, then it's like, well, what does that actually translate into kind of fulfillment? And it's like, well, if you want to do that. You're going to have five, 10,000 square feet. You're going to have three, four people on your team. And do you really want to be managing and overseeing that? And like you said, it's, hey, some people that have experience or knowledge around the operation space, they want to build out their own warehouse. They know how to do it efficiently and they can do that. And so I think there's there's no right answer of, hey, you got to work with a 3PL or you got to um, do it in-house, build out your ops. It's totally. what 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 works best kind of for, for you, your skill set, your team. You got to know what you want and know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a good point. So I guess um, the next thing I, I wanted to cover here is, so we talked about already like your ideal brands and all that, but I guess this is something for me as a, a part owner of an e-commerce brand that I realized very quickly I did not know much at all about third-party logistics. What should, it, in, like when you take on a new brand, right, outside of purely getting these sorts of things off their plate and, you know, uh, opening up their bandwidth. Let's say in another instance, let's say they switch from a different uh, supplier to you guys, right? What do you guys aim to fix? And like, what should brands look for? Like if they were going to work with you in an ideal world, what are you guys looking to improve? And like, what are, like, what are the benchmarks for success for you guys? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. So around kind of those those KPIs, I think once you start working with a partner, it's very clear of what is working to kind of your standard and what isn't. And, and starting at kind of the basics is just fulfillment time. Are they getting their orders out to their SLA? If their SLA is daily orders, are they shipping all those orders every day? Kind of step one. Two is shipping times. Well, you set up these shipping carriers. Are they Kind of meeting those levels that your customers expect whether that's two days three right. days three to five are they hitting that and then a, a big one because because we often are getting clients from other third-party companies and a big one yeah. always there is just the the customer experience responsiveness and kind of that that partner approach when i think about our, our top uh, a few of our top clients we're talking with them on a weekly or monthly basis in addition yep. to our chat um, and our uh, dedicated team. So I think for, for us, um, especially in this early stage in growing, it's 
with logistics, we always say it's like the exceptions management business is things are never going to go as planned. A shipment's going to be late. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, a like you might have a, a pre-sale and, and sales explode or something like there's, there's always different um, things that come up. So having a partner at just a baseline that, Hey, you can pick up the phone and call them at 10 PM at night. And you know, yeah. I'll pick up the phone or something. The or, when shit hits the fan. Yeah. <laughs> like how do, how do they work with you to help resolve it? That makes sense. So, so when, when um, they're with other partners, I, I think it's, it's those kind of fulfillment shipping timelines. And then the next piece, which is always top of mind is brands are thinking about margin is, is kind of what's that cost per, per order. And, and then it's the, the customer experience side, because that, that really kind of flows through like the rest of the company. Um, like, and what I mean by that is we have our own in-house software. We create some automation rules. We have a rules engine we built in-house to send if you have a tag for influencer order that we send an influencer specific um, insert to them versus an investor versus a standard customer or a subscription and, and setting in like using technology and just like a creative way to add to that experience. Yeah. That's something that we've we kind of honed in those two pieces of how do we just have this modern, really friendly, like interface and software to use. Um, but then also it's a little smarter that you can have, Kind of do these cool things with um and then a customer service team that is in the warehouse like we're right off the floor um in our facility and we can hop out there if we have to go check on something or there's a question so i think those are the the two aspects that we really try to hone in with our partners where it's like hey we give a shit like about our business and that's your business and i think just right and like really kind of proving that whenever whenever i'm talking to other prospects it's like hey Here's a list of 10, 15 customers that we have today. Talk about their ex talk with them about their experience with us because they're not going to just tell you everything that's great. They're going to say, hey, this is where we've had to improve with them. This is where they said they're going to do something and they did it. Or, yeah, and they did it. And just kind of like getting a, a real kind of perspective of that partner, I think that is important for really any type of partner or company that you're working with is, yeah, get the real hand from their existing clients and if they're if they don't share that i don't know it might be a little right red flag in a way yeah that makes sense and one thing that you said that i think is super interesting that translates across a lot of industries is it's like finding that sweet spot between leaning on tech and automation to some degree while also having a human touch because i think when you go too heavy in either direction there are big problems we all are familiar with leaning too heavily on tech and automation because we all love those, uh, like when you call your bank and you can't get through the feedback loop of pressing buttons to try to get somebody on the phone because your problem's nuanced. Yeah. Like that is too heavily leaning on automation. That being said, sometimes people don't want to talk on the phone and have to go directly through somebody to fix a problem if you have some sort of a software or system available for them to just create a ticket, flag it, whatever it is, and have it, you know, they don't have to get on the phone, they can just resolve it themselves. So I think finding the sweet spot between those two things is difficult, but it's it's incredibly important. I think you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's the same thing that we're kind of thinking through like next year as, as we continue to scale and grow our businesses. How do you give people what they all want yeah. in some capacity? Like when we're onboarding, it's, hey, some people really want calls that are long dialed in. Some people want to kind of go about it on their own. They want these short videos of each piece of the platform. Others just want to go and read those docs as opposed so right that's what we're always thinking through of how do we kind of have our our process our ideal process but also knowing hey other people want 
something different? Like, how can we still provide a great experience? That's the tough part with scaling, right? And like yeah. kind of the benefit of being lean and mean for the time being is just having that flexibility to be really customized based on client needs. And then with any business, once you scale, once your SOPs get rolled out, like you can't afford to just have everybody doing things on the fly. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's definitely one of the troubles of scale. So I, I totally hear you on that. But it sounds like you guys are going to kind of in a, a good space to provide both. So um, one other thing that I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, because it's a lot of what we talk about is how do, how do you guys, I know that it's not a big percentage of what you guys do, but how does somebody who's selling on Amazon potentially factor into what you guys do? Totally. Um, so the, the way that we fit into the, the Amazon model is either, so Amazon has two processes to, to ship um, items to their customers. It's um, FBA or FBM. That's fulfillment by Amazon or fulfillment by merchant. Um, really all that means is with FBA, you're, we're sending in pallets of your inventory to one of their uh, fulfillment centers. When they get orders, it's sent from their fulfillment center. FBM is place an order, that order is routed to our facility and we send it to your end customer. So that's like our, yep. our kind of normal direct-to-consumer shipping experience. Um, and there's trade-offs to, to both sides. Um, but and, and we just really go with, hey, what do what our brands, if they're asking us questions around those, we're, I wouldn't say we're the experts on it. Um, they're usually the ones saying, hey, I'd like to go fulfillment by merchant um, or I'd want to go fulfillment by Amazon. Um, so just from a process standpoint is the, that inventory is shipped uh, from their manufacturer to our warehouse. And then basically, if they were working with us, they would say, hey, we're sending in 5,000 units um, uh, across these three SKUs here. So they'll basically send that to us. We'll be like, okay, we package those items up, get like the box uh, dimensions, send it back to them. They get us labels, and then we send it into their facility. So there's a little um, back and forth to get that shipment to them. Yeah, it's interesting because like coming from somebody who like all I do all day is Amazon, I see the benefits to both as far as if you're both selling on Amazon and selling D2C, let's say you have a company like Atomics who's doing your fulfillment for D2C already and you're selling on Amazon, There, I see the benefits to either going FBM, utilizing the same third-party logistics fulfillment company to just fulfill your Amazon orders and your D2C orders and just, it's for simplicity's sake, like from the manufacturer, all of it goes to you guys. Then no matter where the orders are coming in from, you guys fulfill it. And yeah. plain and simple. Then there's obviously the benefits to having Amazon do it where you get the prime badge. Everybody on Amazon looks for that. I don't know how exactly the fees would stack up, but you can definitely improve conversion rates because people have so much faith in that prime badge. Even if in reality, a lot of the times, FBM can get there just as fast. It's just, it's the blue and the check mark. Like people, people buy that. People want that. So um, interesting. To interrupt you, interesting caveat to that. So we are approved for brands to get that Prime badge if they're fulfilling. I was going to say, buy with yeah. Prime is the other way that there could be another workaround for that, right? So that's that was the next thing I was going to ask. Yeah, so that that is a really interesting like because you guys obviously, as long as you're fulfilling and by Prime standards, then yeah. companies working with you could get the best of both worlds, where they still ultimately get the Prime badge, they fulfill by Merchant Prime. And all of the manufacturer can just ship everything straight to you guys. 
and and I don't in the in the two pieces that when brands are thinking about the trade-offs, what I often hear, um, it's um, pricing that they're comparing, and then also the data aspect to it. So on the pricing, I don't, from a brand's point of view, I don't know exactly Amazon structure in terms of how much they're taking. I, I know they do a lot, and and they it's relatively low. Um, but ours, yeah, I don't, I haven't stacked it up exactly. Um, but it it's that pricing where I've heard that brands have saved with us compared to them and vice versa. Yeah. Amazon's not that cheap. I mean, at the end of the day, like everybody that we work with, if they could have a hundred percent of their Amazon sales go from D to C instead, they'd love that. Yeah. Um, cause Amazon, I mean, the other thing is like, it's, it's tough to quote exactly what Amazon's cut is just because when you're looking at FBA, like, as you know, and I'm sure this is part of the reason you guys work with a lot of the brands that you do is just their category differences, their size and weight differences as far as what percentage and price Amazon's going to charge you because they have to keep it in their warehouses. So yeah. it's tough. But I mean, I think that like if brands are aware and it's good to know that you guys do have that ability that you're approved for uh, Merchant Fulfilled Prime, that really what it would come down to is just purely cost differences between you guys and Amazon because they're not losing the prime badge either way. And then the ease of just shipping at one place. So that's, that's really interesting. Now I have a question actually for you then on the, um, cause I'm not an expert on this side, but on like the, the data, um, kind of aspect of, I don't know if it changes from FBA to FBM of what kind of Amazon can own or have access to, but is that something that's, that's top of mind with your clients you? chat with yeah i mean at the end of the day like regardless of your fulfillment methods like amazon can be a little bit of a black box um yeah. i would say i mean we'd always like to get more data from amazon right like things like being able to contact customers post amazon sale like outside of just asking for reviews is huge and that's another reason why one interesting method that people have been using which is actually the exact opposite of what we're talking about is incorporating buy with prime onto their websites yeah which gives you you get more data by incorporating that than you do from somebody just buying from amazon and then you would be able to just technically house most of your inventory in-house yeah. Uh, but yeah i i do i don't know exactly either honestly like ex like a customer information capture standpoint like what there i know there are a couple things i think you do get a little more data when you're with fbm but i don't think it's a lot yeah like you know where you're shipping things but outside of that i don't i don't know if you really get a ton um but it is it's always something to take into consideration because that's one of the biggest drawbacks to amazon ultimately is just not having that customer data that you get on dvc because now, now that we we said i don't want to get too into like the non like fact side but if i think about it if we're doing fbm for clients we have the email address and name that it's going to i assume we would like as a partner standpoint and our at least the name okay yeah maybe not the email yeah like you'd have yeah. the name and address i don't know if amazon actually gives you access to the email address even when you're fbm i'm pretty yeah. sure i i don't think they do actually okay I, I have to check I, on that. no yeah i i could i could see them yeah they're they're protected with their data like amazon's actually like we can tap a lot more into it tap into Amazon's data in terms of using things like Amazon DSP to create audiences around product purchase and uh, view behavior. But like, you don't know who it is. You just know yeah. these people bought this thing and we're going to serve them this ad or look at this thing. We're going to serve them this ad. You don't have their like names or anything. Yeah. So 
Austin, just because we're coming on time here in a second, what would be the best way? Like if we have, let's say a brand owner or whatever it is that's listening to this and they are interested in exploring more about what you guys do, what, what would be um, anything that you'd say to them and what would be the best way to get into contact with you? Yeah, just contact first, uh, Atomics, A-T-O-M-I-X, logistics.com. Uh, my name, Austin, at AtomicsLogistics.com is my email. Austin Crines on, on LinkedIn. Reach out to me wherever. Uh, however, happy to really chat with anyone. And I think just a, a advice or, or anything is, if you have any questions around logistics, fulfillment, shipping, I, I'm always happy to, to chat and point you in the right direction, whether that is about inventory management or any really real aspect um, that is around logistics from an e-commerce point of view. Happy to kind of point you in the right direction, talk to people, look at tools, work with us. But yeah, happy to be a resource whenever I can. Awesome, brother. Well, we appreciate you. This is the first time that uh, we've had this sort of fulfillment talk on this podcast and it's it's such a huge piece of the puzzle so this is super informative for me and and for anyone who's listening so we appreciate the time yeah totally no i appreciate you having me on and uh always always happy to do this whenever brother talk soon